following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Today, a big day. We are sadly returning for the last time to the Apostle Paul's first letter to Timothy. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 through 21, which is page 993 in the Pew Bibles. And this is the end for poor 1 Timothy. Not really. He gets a second letter. There's a sequel, so don't worry. We have more work to do uh, with Timothy, so that's exciting. Um. Last week we talked about um, the temptations that await those who desire uh, to be rich in this world. The snares and senseless harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction that all stem from a gnawing lust for more money. Remember verse 10, that often misquoted verse, says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Paul continues on this topic in the remainder of this letter, but what is at the heart of the issue is not money, it's not wealth or worldly possessions. It's the issue of kingdom building. Where where that kingdom is and who that kingdom is for. So we'll look at our text this morning and then we'll pray. Look at verse 11 of chapter 6, 1 Timothy. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Don't you want to stop there? Kind of feels like you should, doesn't it? But we're not going to. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you, Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Now we can pray. 
Father, we thank you for this text that you've given us to look at this morning. We know it's not by accident that we are here and think about these things. It is not by accident that each of us are here to hear this word this morning. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be ready to receive the word for that you have for us. And pray that our ears would be open and we'd be attentive to what you're saying. Lord, we thank you that your spirit is at work. We pray that you would continue to work in us and make us more like Jesus. For it's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Now, I have to, uh, I have to admit, as I was studying this text this week, um, at first it seemed kind of disjointed, like there's, uh, things were out of order. It, it was as if Paul was interrupting himself again. We've talked about that before in working through Paul's letters. Like, uh, he, he forgot to say some stuff about the wealthy people. Oh, by the way, the wealthy people, I got some stuff for them too while I'm in the middle of this other thought. And honestly, I actually wanted to pull out verses uh, 17 through 19 and talk about them first so that they could be connected to what we talked about last week, um, the, about the people desiring to be rich in this world. First, the people who weren't rich, Paul talked about, but wanted to be uh, at all costs. And then those who were rich, we ought to talk about them too and what they should do with their resources. And then we could talk about this very emotional encouragement and charge to young Timmy. Um, but the truth is that's not how it's supposed to be. These thoughts are not disjointed at all. They actually work together beautifully when you think of the broader scope of what Paul was addressing. And that's not really money. It's kingdom building. Now, because I don't want to sacrifice nuance for broad brushstrokes, we look at the different pieces of the puzzle one at a time. So I want to get a running start at the contrast that Paul is making uh, by going back to verse 10. It says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. See, there's very nice people uh, long ago that stuck numbers in there and headings and stuff. And sometimes that's very helpful. And sometimes it's not. This, that big number uh, or... or uh, um, header, heading, thingy, that's in the way, kind of separates these thoughts, but they're not separate. Paul tells Timothy not just to flee avarice, the, to, to run away from the love of money, but also run away from conceit, an unhealthy craving for controversy, the things that build up a worldly kingdom with worldly influence. All right, that's if, further back in the chapter. And instead of running after these things, which we, I have to be honest, we often want to do, chase after conceit and unhealthy craving for controversy and money and all that sort of stuff. And instead, 
Timothy was instructed to run after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. This echoes Paul's exhortation to the Romans in Romans 12.21. that says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These are the good things that build up the kingdom of Christ. Not just building the number of citizens in the kingdom, but building up the citizens themselves. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You might not have noticed this, but we must make no mistake that the Christian life is a battleground. We are at war. Ray Sedman says, don't expect much of a breather. You get through one battle and there's another one waiting. Maybe two at once, maybe more than that. And like Timothy, we are all called to fight the good fight of the faith. And this is a fight on two different fronts. We fight inwardly for ourselves. We fight against temptation and discouragement and despair. And we fight outwardly also for those who are lost and in need of a savior. We fight on all sides. But the question is, how do we fight? It would be easy. Look, it would be easy if Satan would just come in here and we could just, we could just box. Bare knuckle box, last man standing wins. All right? That's simple. Maybe not easy, but simple. Right? And that's what we want. Wouldn't that be simpler? But that's not how it works, is it? So how do we fight? We can face him head on. How do we fight? And I think that our mindset in this fight is as important as our methods. Paul addresses the mindset in verse 12. And he says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. How are you supposed to do that? Doesn't eternal life start when we're dead? It's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Take hold. The Greek word means to grab forcefully, to seize it. But what does it mean to grab on to the eternal life to which he was called, to which we are called? How do you do that? Well, I think we have to wrestle with the question, when does eternal life begin? It is, is it when a Christian dies? No? Are you sure? Because we just have this life now. This, we gotta get rid of this one to start the next one, right? No. Is it when Christ returns? That's when eternal life begins. Trumpet blast, the clouds roll back as a scroll, and we start floating around. That's eternal life, right? That's the start? No. Man. What do you read your Bibles or something? How come you answering all the right way? It's, so when does eternal life begin? Eternal life begins the moment we put our trust in Jesus Christ. 
as our Savior. It is a, it's the moment a person comes to faith in Christ that they inherit eternal life. That's when, the, that's when it begins. And you can wipe, wipe all the numbers off the clock. And you can wipe all the dates off the calendar. It lasts forever. Now, that could be depressing if your life is terrible. Uh, but it's going to get better. Um, I don't know how many fistfights that you all have ever been in. Um, I don't want to say how many I've been in because I have kids in this room and I don't really want to talk about that. But it's more than none. I'll say it that way. When a person get in a fight, among the worst things that could happen in that fight is that they get killed, right? You don't... Uh, in high school, when we get in a fight, we weren't trying to kill anybody. Just trying to give them a black eye, make them cry, and run away. That was the goal, not killing every, anyone. But that is among the worst things that could happen, right? I say among because we have imagination. It could get worse. But when it comes to fighting the good fight of the faith, getting killed does not mean that we lose. Because our eternal life has already begun, right? When this body gives out, whether we're fighting another person or fighting the enemy or fighting cancer or fighting a, a piano from a high building out the window, we, when this body stops working, we get a new one at the resurrection, right? So the worst thing that could happen to us in a fight is not that we die. It's that we give up. That's the worst thing that could happen. And that's exactly what the enemy wants from us. He wants us to think that I, uh, that this body is more important than our eternal life. To take hold of your mortal, mortal life and make sure that you do whatever you can to protect it because it's going to be hard. Being a Christian is hard. You know, people, uh, there's people who don't know Christ have a lot more fun than you or so they think. Or so the enemy would like us to believe. It's not true. We can't give up. This body is not the most important thing in the world. Our eternal life is. And we must take hold of it. We must grab it with both hands. When this body gives out, we receive a new one at the resurrection and the return of Christ. And that's the good confession that Timothy made in the presence of many witnesses. That eternal life in God's kingdom is available only through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the good confession that Jesus made before Pontius Pilate, that his kingdom was not of this world. That's the key to understanding this whole passage, understanding what the good confession that Jesus made was. John 18, 33 through 37, records the good confession of Jesus. It says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everything who is of the, everyone who is of the truth, listen to my voice. Here's the key to understanding our passage in Timothy, that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. When I always get hung up on this, uh, the way Jesus responds to Pilate, Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. I'm like, is that a yes? Uh, I, I don't know. Well, it's because we speak English, not Greek. This, uh, the way these words are written in Greek goes further back to a Hebrew expression. It is among the strongest ways that you can agree with some something someone has said. So you are a king? He's saying, yes, 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 it's a yes. <laughs> Paul is warning Timothy and the church and us to not focus on building worldly kingdoms and castles, but instead build the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's what Jesus came to do, to inaugurate the kingdom. And we are its citizens. But we are often distracted by other kingdoms. Verse 13 says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who is in, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper, proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Paul's charge to Timothy was to keep the commandment pure and free from reproach until the Lord Jesus returns. What is the commandment? Notice it's singular. So those that say, well, this must mean the Ten Commandments. Timothy is supposed to keep the law until Jesus returns. Well, he would have said the law, if that's what he meant. Paul spoke a lot about the law in his letters. Is it the law that Paul is talking about? No, I've just told you why it wasn't. It's not. So what is it? Is it a great commandment? Is it what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also love your neighbor as yourself? Well, maybe, but probably not. It doesn't fit the context. So what is Paul charging Timothy to keep? What commandment? Hmm. The commandment is the gospel. The commandment is the entire way of Christ and his apostles. Pilate asked Jesus if he really was the king of the Jews, and though he knew it would cost him his life, 
he strongly affirmed that it was that he was indeed a king, that he came in the world to bear witness to the truth. The message is the same to Timothy and to us, to continue to declare the truth that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, even if it costs us our lives. That's what Paul is telling to Timothy. That is the commandment to keep uh, pure and above reproach until Christ returns. That's the message he's got to continue to preach. And we have to continue to preach to bear witness to the truth that Jesus is king until he returns, even if it costs us our lives. Because costing our lives is not cost us everything. That's what the world gets messed up. The wonderful reminder there in those verses is that, number one, the Lord Jesus Christ will return according to the plan and will of God in the time that he alone knows and has chosen. We can take comfort in that. Christ is coming again. Amen? Amen. That was very enthusiastic. Really looking forward to that. We, be, we belong, at Crossroad Church, belong to a network of churches called the Advent Christian uh, Church. Do you know what Advent means? We talk about it Christmas all the time. It means coming. Uh, someone is showing up. So Christmas time, we we'll also call Advent, right? We have Advent calendars. That's not, it's just a fancy word for looking forward to the coming of the baby, of Christmas Day, right? And open up the little windows and somebody's in there or maybe a piece of chocolate or something like that. But we are not just anticipating the first advent. We are anticipating the second advent. That is the return of Christ. He's coming back. And <laughs> enter amen. Christ is coming back. Amen. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> all right. We need to talk about that some more. I think <laughs> this is a wonderful reminder that Christ is coming back, that we may not experience death. We might not. He could come back today. <laughs> All right. We're going to look, we're going to have to require three cups of coffee for everyone before service starts. <laughs> It's a re wonderful reminder that the Lord is returning according to the plan and will of God at the time that he alone knows. No man can figure it out. Only God knows. Only the Father knows. And when he says to the Son, now is the time, go. That's when the action starts. The second reminder is that he is sovereign over all authority, over all earthly rulers, over all earthly masters. Now, there is comfort in knowing that, I think, that God is sovereign over your boss, that God is sovereign over our president, that God is sovereign over all the kings of the earth. We got to work on this amen thing because it's a huge relief. It should be. Look, oh, my boss is a jerk and he treats me like garbage. Well, that, that's just part of the story. God is sovereign over that person, 
over that organization, over that government. God has control over all of that stuff. So what do we have to worry about? Zero. Nothing. Amen. <laughs> you guys are killing me. <clears throat> the third wonderful reminder is that God is sovereign over life itself. It is he that bestows immortality to all those who trust in him. That's us. Can I get amen? amen. All right. God is the one who gives life. God is the one who bestows eternal life. Okay. And when we trust in him, that's exactly what he does. All right. Eternal life is yours. You're my child forever. You get to li live in my kingdom forever. And that's a good thing. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Well, the letter could stop there, and so could we, but it doesn't, and we won't either. It continues on. In verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now the saying is true that pride may be found without wealth, but it is hard to have wealth without pride. The question still remains for those who are rich in this present age, whose kingdom are you building? You have been given resources by Almighty and Sovereign God. He's the one that's in control, and He decides whether you're born into a rich family or a poor family. He's the one that decides whether you have the ability to make money or not. I was, I was taught to make a lot of things, and money's not one of them. But some people are and don't know how to make anything else. It is God who decides whether we not, whether or not we have those talents, but we still have to decide whose kingdom will we build with those talents. Using wealth in this age for our enjoyment alone is like building sandcastles. As the old song says, building castles in the sand. The tide will eventually come in and nothing will be left of our castle, not even a bump. But if you use your earthly resources for God's kingdom, for Christ's kingdom, you will store up treasures in that kingdom. Oh, that sounds good, right? If I use my money for God's kingdom, that means when the, when the kingdom is come, I get a bigger house. Right? I get to drive around in a cloud Cadillac. I can't wait for that. I don't think so. Those riches are not going to be a bigger mansion than the poor in this life will get. It's not getting your mansion built any closer to Jesus' mansion either. What are the treasures in God's eternal kingdom? They're the people. They're the souls there. The people that are in it. Like I said last week, find the things that will last beyond this life and into eternity and invest in those things. And what are those things? It's not bigger houses or bigger barns or fancy cars. It's people 
People are the only thing that will last through this life and on into eternity. People who put their trust in Jesus. That's how we are to invest our wealth. Invest in the gospel. And those people are only added to, added to the citizenship of heaven through faith in the Lord Jesus. That's where our investment should go. Verse 20 says at the close of the letter, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. You ever get an argument on Facebook or online? No? Nobody here? All right, well, I'll just move on then. I try very hard um, to stay away from that. I have Facebook so I can put up pictures of my kids and my, and my woodwork, and that's it. But sometimes somebody writes something and I respond. And that happened this week. And I'm not here to say, I, I did what was right and they were wrong. And aren't you proud of me for standing up for Christ? Um, that's not it. Mm. But this irreverent babble in contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge is being spread everywhere. And my temptation is just to let it go. I mean, you can't win an argument on, online anyway. But there are those who would twist the faith. There are those who would say, you don't need faith in Christ. God made you. He loves you. You're fine. Don't worry about it. You're, everybody's go to heaven. So just be nice. Because you carry around the presence of God just by the fact that you are. That is irreverent babble. And contradictions. If everybody gets to go to heaven just because we are, why did Christ die? It's for nothing. If everybody carries around the presence of God without faith in Christ, why, what's the point of Christ's life and death and resurrection? I personally am not ready to say, Lord, thanks, but no thanks. I'm all good. Because I'm not. You're not. Nobody is. The truth of the gospel was the deposit entrusted to Timothy. Not false knowledge and empty philosophy. Not irreverent babble that puts man at the center of everything. Nor contradictions that remove all absolutes and absolute truth that deny God and his design for the world. Paul says, simply guard the truth of the gospel. That man, mankind, we are great sinners. And we are in need of a great Savior. And that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified for us and risen again to the praise of His glorious grace. And all those who put their trust in Him will not perish but will have everlasting life forever, be children of God and citizens of his eternal kingdom. Now, can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this wonderful letter. We thank you for the reminder that life is not all about us. That we are here simply to continue to proclaim the truth. That man is a sinner and in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And by turning to Him in faith, we can be saved from our sin and its penalty and forever given a place in your eternal kingdom. We thank you for the reminder from your word that our eternal life has already begun. So even if proclaiming this message costs our life, it will not end our life, but we will live on into eternity. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to invest in those things that will last beyond this life and on into eternity, into the souls of the lost, that we would invest in the work of the gospel and be about that work in everything that we do because it's worth it. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.